morning. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we'll be looking at the fourth commandment this morning. Some of you may be thinking, shouldn't we be farther, further along by now? I'm going in order. So we are at the fourth commandment this morning. Remember, the people of God are here. The Lord God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then in Exodus chapter 20, he lays out the Ten Commandments. I'll be looking now to verse 8. The fourth commandment, the Lord says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it contains, truths that we can build our life upon, Father. And so, Father, we ask this morning that we do just that, that we would not only be molded and shaped into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, but that we would build your, our lives upon your word for your namesake, for your glory. And so, God, as we look to this passage, teach us what it means for us in our life. Teach, it, teach us what it means and how we love you more. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned since the first Sunday that I began teaching these Ten Commandments, these Ten Commandments are still binding to us. In other words, we are bound to keep them. But as I mentioned from the beginning, it's not in the way that one may think. Not in the way that you may think. They're binding for us. We're bound to them, not for our salvation. For God has already provided our salvation for us. And if you look and remember, I want to point this out every time because it's so important. The Lord God spoke all these words and he began with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I have already redeemed you. I've already saved you. I've already made you my own and I'm taking you to the land. I'm already your Lord and you are my people. I am your redeemer. He begins with that. And then as he lists these out, what these are, these commandments are not something that they are to do in order to earn salvation that's already been given. These commandments are given to them to teach them how they are to live in the land with the Lord and his people. They're to teach them how to love the Lord. That's exactly what Jesus says when he sums up the law, when he says, here's the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. So all of these commandments are given to us that teach us how to love him who has first loved us. Therefore, we are bound to keep these if we are desiring to demonstrate our love for the Lord our God. We're bound to keep them if we're desiring to live with him and he be ours and we be his. This is how we love the Lord. And at the same time, 
These commandments teach us what sin is. Remember this truth. If you say you love God, you are by necessity saying at the same time you hate sin. Those are two sides of the same coin. To love God is to hate sin. To love God is to hate rebellion. To love God is to hate these things. And so these commandments not only teach us how to love God, they teach us what sin is so as we can steer from them. Therefore, we are bound by our love for the Lord and our hatred for sin to follow them and to keep them because he has first loved us and saved us. These commandments teach us how to love God. And hopefully, we've also seen over the last few weeks how these commandments have been transformed by Jesus, given a deeper meaning, not abolished. Jesus has fulfilled them. He's shown us what they truly mean. He's transformed them for us in their application so that we can follow these commandments through loving and serving Christ Jesus as well. And so Jesus has transformed these commandments for us in our life. And he does so in this commandment, the fourth commandment, more noticeably than all the others. In fact, throughout the history of Christian interpretation, Throughout the history of people studying this passage, this command has been the most controversial and maybe even the most confusing for some. It is the longest and most detailed command out of the ten, given the most time, given the most words. And in the same sense, it is the command that's mentioned most in Scripture in other places. The Sabbath is brought up over and over again in Scripture, not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. And what's more, part of that maybe confusion or sometimes uh, controversy may come in the fact, as I would conclude to you this morning, that the Jewish Sabbath day and the Christian Lord's day, as we call it, have some significant points of difference. Just to begin, the Jewish Sabbath day was the seventh day of the week. It began on sundown Friday and went to sundown Saturday. We are gathered in this place on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Just in that, we see the difference. And to think that the rules of the Sabbath that are given there for that seventh day of the week could just be picked up and moved to the first day of the week, that would be tough to justify. It'd be tough to understand. So in this, we oftentimes ask questions. What does this mean for us as Christians living on this side of Christ? What does it mean for us as we look to the Sabbath and how do we remember it? And we start asking these questions. Is it all right for me to go out to eat? I hope it is because many of you will, right? Is it all right for me to wash my car today? Is it all right for me to watch sports? Is it all right for me to do all of these things on this day? Is it all right for me to do them because it's the Lord's Day. Do these laws still pertain in this way? And what I would say to you is that those are really the wrong questions for you to be asking. Those are really not the starting point for us. If you're asking those questions, then what I believe is that you have missed the point of the fourth commandment. And you have surely missed how Christ Jesus has transformed it for our life. One of my favorite Andy Griffith episodes. Y'all wasn't ready for that, did you? I just threw Andy Griffith out there was the one where they went to hear the preacher. They went to church. Barney fell asleep. That was funny there. It's not funny in here. 
And so they're sitting there preaching, and the preacher starts preaching about how the world is just crazy hectic. Too much going on. It's too much pulling this way and pulling that way. People are too busy. We need to slow down. Slow down. If you remember, he's speaking about that on a Sunday. And so Andy and Barney go to the house. They slow down, eat some peach cobbler, whatever have you. But then they start talking about the good old days. Now this is 1960s Mayberry, and now they're talking about the good old days. And they start talking about the good old days, how it used to be when they had the band and they were on the green and they were listening to the concerts and it was so good. And they said, well, let's do it again. Let's have it all and do it again. But they go and find the uniforms for the band. Who needs uniforms? They go and find the uniforms. They got moss have eaten them. They find the instruments. They're all beat up. The stand is torn down. So they begin to work to make it all happen. And before long, they're, they're tired, they're wore out, and they're yelling at each other. They missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. And so what I don't want us to do this morning is we have this opportunity. I may not, if the Lord keeps me here at Taylor's First for some time, I may not be back to the fourth commandment for a while on a Sunday morning. So what I don't want us to do is miss the whole point of what the Lord's saying. It's our desire then to understand the principles of, these, of this commandment, this fourth commandment. That we are to rest in the Lord and worship Him. These principles that this commandment teach us and are for us still apply to us today. We're still bound to them. So how is it? And what does it mean? So that's what I want us to consider. I want us to consider what does this mean for us even today. The first thing I want to do is understand where this command comes from. Our rest the word Sabbath means rest, means to cease from labor, if you will. So the word Sabbath means rest. Our rest, then, that we are to remember, our rest is grounded in the work of God. Our rest is grounded in the work of God. God has designed his world in such a way that his people should rest. God has designed it in such a way that we should rest. Remember the context. It's always important to remember the context from the passage. These are people who have been in bondage for generations, some 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They weren't used to getting a day off. They were told what they were to do every single day. They had tasks every single day. So they worked seven days a week in Egypt under slavery. Now they're coming out of this, and the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day. This is something that wasn't just established here at Sinai. This is something that goes back to the very beginning. He's reminding his people, as you go into this promised land, you are going to set up a rhythm that I've already displayed from you and shown for you in creation. You're going to set up a rhythm of living in such a way that you shall rest and rest shall be a part of your week we must know i miss i must remind you some of this that work is not a bad thing in fact work was given even before sin entered into the world work was given to adam and eve even there in the garden to work it and to keep it Adam and Eve found their joy in the Lord, their satisfaction in Him, their purpose in God. And because of that, that work was a joy to them. It was a way for them to display how God had created them and the gifts and talents He had offered them. Their work was fulfilling. It satisfied them because they did it in the name of the Lord for His glory and what He had given them and blessed them with. But then sin enters in. And after the fall, when 
men and women are alienated from God, everything changes. And that work that used to be satisfying because it was done for the glory of the Lord, now, now that work is not done for his glory. And the significance of that work changes. And what happens for oftentimes for people is they begin to find their significance in their work. And the reason why it's so troubling for us or so hard for us is because work is not a good thing for us to find our significance in. In fact, a man by the name of Wayne Oates, born here in Greenville, South Carolina, the early part of last century, a professor at Southern Seminary throughout the century, Wayne Oates coined the phrase that we oftentimes hear all the time called a workaholic. In his book, Confessions of a Workaholic, Wayne Oates tries to explain what happens whenever we make work our God. And whenever that happens, work takes that role of God in our life and work itself and the fruit of our works become an idol for us. What we do and we find our satisfaction in that. So we fall for the lie of the world that you are what you do. And that's just not true. And when you do that, it's the essence of idolatry. A good thing becomes a God thing. And when a good thing becomes a God thing and tries to take its place, you will not find joy. You will not find satisfaction in it. It is a cheap Savior. And that's what happens when we put our trust in work. When we work so much or too hard. And so here the Lord gives his people a Sabbath day as a bulwark to idolatry. He says you must stop in this. Your week must come to where one day you are at least to rest. The command to rest from work focuses us or forces us to pause in our week, reminds us of who God is, and reminds us of why we are here. And why we rest, we rest because God rested. That's what our passage tells us. He in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Hence the command to rest is grounded in creation itself. Six days God's work, then he rested. We must, as God's people, imitate the Lord. This is what the Lord has done. And he says in this passage that he's created this, past, this, this pattern in our week for our good. Remember that the commands were given not to hold us back or to keep us from something. They were to, to help us to flourish, help us for our good. And as a creation command then, the Sabbath rest was intended to be a blessing and a benefit to all mankind. Remember that Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man. The necessity of regular rest from work has proven over and over again in its benefits of health for us and our bodies and our mind and our strength. The necessity to rest has proven over and over again to be good for us as a people. In that calling to rest as God's good design of creation and we're called to follow Him, that calling to rest is not just for us to cease from labor but also to cease from that labor so that we can live peacefully and purposefully in a life of order. So that we can flourish in our life. And in creation, God has given us this demonstration. God has shown us. So in its very essence, we want to be like God and we follow His lead. And so He has rested, so we are called to rest. But it's not just grounded in creation. 
If you note the complimentary passage in Deuteronomy, something happened. You remember a little thing happened whenever uh, Moses comes down off the mountain, sees a golden calf, and a little incident where he smashes the plates and other kind of stuff, a little angry, got a little angry. Well, in Deuteronomy, we see that again in Deuteronomy 5 where the comes back and the Ten Commandments are given again. And whenever Moses gives this commandment, the fourth commandment, he follows the same pattern. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. He follows the same thing you, to, to make sure you don't let your servants or your family work or anything work. You were to set that example, not to sojourner in your land. Set that example. And then he comes at the end to give the reason. And where Exodus chapter 20 tells us is because God rested. He created the earth and then rested on the seventh day. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 15, he says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, in Exodus 20, he tells us that the Sabbath day of rest is grounded in the work of God in creation. And in Deuteronomy 5, in this sister passage, if you will, complementary passage, he says that this calling, this command to rest is grounded in the work of God in your redemption. Not only has he shown you this as what's best for you and your humanity to rest and, 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 and find some rest throughout your week and not to work yourselves in such a way that work becomes idolatry, but also, also you are to rest to consider what God has done for you through your salvation. Our rest is grounded in God's work of redemption and God's work of creation. Sabbath was reminding them of who they were and where they had come from. Their identity is not found in what they do, but who has redeemed them. Their identity is not found in the work of their hands, but the one who has worked for them on their behalf and redeemed them and saved them. So the Lord says, you are my treasured possession. And what made God's people great was that God had redeemed them and saved them and called them his own. Not that they could make statues, not that they could make buildings, not that they could work and work better than everybody else. No, but they had been set apart by God himself. What made them great is they had been redeemed by God. And so here, here in this passage, we see that the work and the calling for us to rest has been grounded in what God has worked for us on our behalf. Our rest is grounded in God's work, his work of creation and his work of redemption. And every week we rest because that's what's best for us. And every week we rest because it's a reminder of what God has done for us. And so how does this play out then? If this command is grounded in creation and redemption, then how does it work for us? And I'm going to give you three little simple things. And, and probably, I don't even know what the best order these are. I just save the best for last. I always leave them smiling, right? That's what we're trying to do. So we're going to go with this first. Because God has called us to rest, which is grounded in his creation and his redemption, his work on our behalf, we must make rest a part of our every week routine. We must make rest a part of our routine. Now, I want to be clear about some things and, and hopefully not confusing. So maybe there's some questions that come, but, and, and I do not think this is. But I want to say to you, I do not think that our day of rest is confined to a day like it was before Christ. We'll get to that. That's the good part at the end. But Christ has transformed this. 
I don't think it's found in one particular day over any other particular day of the week, but it is found every week. It must be a part of our routine. We follow the example of our creator who knows best. And all of us in this room are crazy busy. Just have the conversations outside. Just talk with somebody. How's everything going? Man, it's been busy. It's been, it's been hectic. And I've been saying that for years, thinking it may slow down. Guess what? It doesn't slow down. There's constantly things in this world that is pulling us for our time, pulling us for our energy, calling us to do this. And there is always this sense outside there, outside maybe even these walls and maybe even unfortunately within them, this sense that we have to live up to some sort of expectation out there of how busy we become and what our kids have to be involved in and what they have to do, this, that, and the other. And it just steals our time over and over again. And I can promise you, I can promise you what the devil wants more than anything else is for us to get so crazy busy we forget about who we are and who we belong to time is of a premium we know it but because it is precious then we must make what is most important most important we must make what is right right and we must rest as the lord has taught us now i believe I believe Sunday is the best day. I'm going to go ahead and let you know that. I believe Sunday is the best day for us to set aside. But for some, it doesn't work like that. Me as a preacher, I work one day a week. It's Sunday. i got to rest sometime. By the way, just in case if you want to make that joke to me, I will let you know that there are several churches around here that need pastors, and you can be one anytime you want to. Before you use me as a reference on this to say pastor said Sunday wasn't important, by no means am I saying that. I want you to consider the words of Paul, though. Hear what Paul says. Paul, in Romans 14, that's describing how we live as believers now in light of the Spirit living within us, says, One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, Paul is saying... Paul is saying what's meant here in this passage and what Paul's offering up, this does not mean that you can do whatever you like and just say, I'm going to give thanks to God. That's not what he's saying at all. What Paul is saying is that you, as a believer in the Lord, must pray. You must call upon God and the Spirit to work in your life, and you, as your family, led by the Spirit, must lead your family to design your week and your life in such a way, in such a way that honors Him, not as looking at what the world does or anyone else, but how is the Spirit teaching you, showing you to honor the Lord with your life and your family and how you operate in your routine? How is the world, the, the Word and the Spirit teaching you these things? You cannot. You cannot forget the Sabbath, but it may look different for each and every one of us, Paul says. The Sabbath remains. You must find rest. You must find that rest. It means you pray, you let the Spirit lead, and you follow. But that rest must be in your weekly routine. It's best for you physically, emotionally, spiritually, because it's the Lord who has designed it this way for us. Rest must be in your weekly routine. But let's take this to the next one. We must rest. We must rest in order to worship. We must rest in order to worship. 
He says, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. You don't just remember the Sabbath on the morning that the Sabbath happens, right? You don't just wake up one morning, oh, today's the Sabbath, I better not do anything. It's not how it works. We don't design life that way. We plan ahead. Some of us farther than others, but that's okay. We plan ahead. And we look at life that's coming and we know we set up our life on a routine. It's just like in baseball. If there is a great hitter in the lineup, then it changes the way you pitch to every other batter. You have to get ready for that one, and so it is. There's seven days in the week, and there's one we have set aside for rest, so it changes how we treat all the other days, knowing that there's a day set aside for rest. Same way for Israel. The Lord God called the manna to be on the ground every single morning, except on that Sabbath morning. You better take double your dose the day before, because it's not coming on that day. Be ready. Prepare yourself, because there's a day that you must come to rest, and so it is with our rest. Our lives are to be acts of worship, sure, but we also must set aside a time. Set aside a time that we gather together, reminding ourselves of who we are, reminding ourselves how we have been redeemed, reminding ourselves of whose we, whose we are, who we belong to. We must set this, side, this time aside, and it's grounded in our redemption. We come together to praise him for saving us. It's the very reason why we've gathered here this morning. And it's the reason why I believe Sunday's still the best day. And why is that? The reason we celebrate on a Sunday, I've said to you many times, and I'll say it again because it's good. The reason we are gathered here today is because our Lord Jesus is alive. Every first day of the week, we as God's people gathered together to remind us that it was on the first day of the week that Jesus Christ rose again. Every time we gather together here on Sunday morning, we gather not only as a redeemed people, but as a redeemed people who serve a king who is alive. As a redeemed people who serve a king who has died for us, who has risen again, and now sits on the throne on our behalf. We gather together to serve a king who is not dead, but is alive and alive on our behalf. That's why I think Sunday's still the best day. It's because every Sunday morning, we come in this place to celebrate. Every Sunday morning, we come in this place because Christ has transformed our week. Christ has shown us how this is supposed to look. And we gather in this place to celebrate the one who's greater than Moses. The one who delivers his people not from the bondage of Egypt and the Pharaoh, but the one who came and delivered his people out of the sin and grave that so grace, uh, ter terribly held them back. We're delivered He's delivered us from the bondage and saved us and redeemed us. And we gather together today to worship him. Therefore, we rejoice. And why do we rejoice? We've set aside this day, this time to come together to rejoice. And what does this say to the world? That's exactly what he does here in chapter 20. He says, you don't uh, own it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your servant, your female servant, your livestock, and even the sojourner within your gates. What does that say to them? This world is hectic. As I said, it's crazy busy. They're all out there. They don't have time to stop and come together and worship. But we do. And why do we? Because we know what's important and we know what's vital and we know what we must be doing. We know who's redeemed us. We know who saved us. And we must make time for this, if nothing else. 
We gather here because God has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we rest in this. We come together to worship him. And unless we stop all of our labors this week, unless we say, you know what, that work will take care of itself, that stuff will take care of itself, the most important thing is for me to be in this place this morning. What a testimony to a world that is crazy busy. That God's people stop and say, this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing today. All other things set aside. This is right. We come together to worship and to rejoice. This world is clamoring for your time, pulling at you in all directions. Satan wants nothing more than you to be distracted from what we're doing this morning, filling up your schedule. But we must make this a regular part of our life. And we must do this so that we can set aside this time to show what is most important. You are clothed today because the Lord Jesus has clothed you. You'll have food today because the Lord Jesus has provided for you. That's what the scripture says. He's taking care of everything. It is right for us to rejoice in him. It affects all the people in your life. What Christ has done. Third and finally though, we rest in Jesus. We must make rest a regular part of our routine. We must rest so that we can worship, and we rest in Jesus. Our true rest is grounded in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our true rest is grounded in him. The Pharisees had created all kind of laws to protect the Sabbath. When you get to the gospel, that's what happened. Not only to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, but then they created all these laws around the fourth commandment so as to protect it. So you can't do this and you can't do that. And they've created all these things. And by creating all these laws around it, like washing your car and going out to eat and all these other things, by creating all of these things, they had lost the meaning of it. They lost what it meant. And every single time Jesus was going somewhere, he would do something on the Sabbath. They would try to catch him on it. But the scriptures tell us Jesus never broke the fourth commandment. He fulfilled them all. So no matter how many times they tried to catch him when his disciples were gathering wheat so they could eat on the Sabbath and all these other instances, no matter how many times Jesus was right, he knew what he was doing. Why? Because he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created it. And it wasn't made uh, for, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man, he says. And so therefore, this is for your good, for your benefit, not something that binds you and holds you down. It's something for your good and for your benefit. Not a burden. One of my favorite stories is John chapter 9. Again, I can't preach on John chapter 9 every week, so I mention it every time I can. John chapter 9 was the blind man from birth who was sitting there. And they come by him and his disciples, Jesus' disciples asked a question about this blind man. And they said, hey, what about him? Who sinned? Jesus said, I don't know about sin. This is for you. Watch this. And Jesus spits on the ground and puts it in the dirt and mixes it up and makes a little bit of mud, puts it on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool. The man washes in the pool, and what happens? He can see. Jesus heals him. But it just so happened that this event occurred on the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath came by a man who was blind from birth, spit in the mud, put it on his eyes, washed it, he can see. What we see then in the passage was the Pharisees hear about it. And the Pharisees had a rule. You can't spit and make mud on a, Sunday, on a Sabbath. 
It's crazy. You can't spit and make mud. That's considered work. You put two things together. They, this man has violated the Sabbath. They heard about this. You won't believe what happened. This man has violated the Sabbath. Go get that man that was blind and bring him up in here. So here is this man who's been blind from birth, which means he probably wasn't educated. He probably didn't know all the things that were going on. And now he stands before the council, the Sanhedrin, and they begin to ask him questions. One of my favorite scenes in all of Scripture. They begin to ask him questions. Who healed you? How did he do it? What went on? Did he really make mud and put it in your eyes? Who is this guy? Where is he? They ask him all these questions. And finally, here's this man blind from birth who just a moment before couldn't see, but now he can. He stops and says, look, guys, you can keep peppering me with all the questions you want. You can ask me about this. You can ask me about this. I don't know anything of what you're talking about. What I do know is I once was blind, but now I see. What I do know is I sat there by that pool forever and you got your rules and you got your commandments and you got all your stuff. And I praise God that he didn't take your rules and apply them in such a burdensome way so that I would still be sitting by that pool blind. But I praise God that he came and visited me, spit on the ground and caused me to see. I don't know about your rules. I don't know about all those things. What I do know is I once was blind and now I see. And there may not be anybody blind in here this morning. But I know, I know there are people in here that are tired. I know there are people here that are weary. I know that this world has pulled at you and pulled at you in such a way that you don't know really where your hope is anymore. You don't know really where you find this peace. You don't know really where it is. And maybe you've heard about this Jesus sometime back. Maybe you're even a member of this church, but in something that's happened, something that's gone on in your life, and you've forgotten to rest in him. And just like that blind man, what I'm here to tell you is this. The one who has come for you, who did work on your behalf, has given a promise. He's laid out an invitation that is just as true today as it was when he first said it. An invitation is still available because Hebrews says that there is still rest waiting for you. All you got to do is get it. And that man, Jesus, who worked, went to the cross for you, died for you, rose again and now seated at the right hand and still still has obligated himself to you in such a way that she says, if you call on me, I will answer. If you seek, you will find. If you're not, the door will be open to you. And listen to the promise that man says. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, looks out at this crowd who's tired. They've been working their life to find salvation and they can't. They've been working for everything to find peace and they can't. They've looked in everything in the world and they can't find what they're looking for. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this morning, you need to know that our rest is not found in a day. Our rest is found in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. 
I'm not so much concerned about you keeping a day. What I'm concerned about is this. When you get to heaven, you can say, Lord, I kept a day every week and I rested. I kept a day every week and I rested. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. When you get to heaven, you stand before the Lord God Almighty. The only response for us then is to say, Lord, I kept the fourth commandment. I rested in your son, Jesus Christ. He is the one that brought me rest. And in him, I will rest forever. If you are looking anywhere and everywhere to find some peace, just know you won't find it in this world. If you're looking anywhere and everywhere to find the rest you're hoping for, just know you cannot find it here. This world wants to keep you crazy busy, to distract you from the truth of the fact that your rest can only be found in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, lay aside all those efforts. Lay aside all of those strivings. Lay aside all of those times where you're trying to find it and look to the only one who can give it. Call upon him. For those who are weary and heavy laden, he will give you rest. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ. Lord, we need Christ today more than ever. God, I pray for the ones who are here that know you. I pray that they find their rest in you. I pray, Father, that they rejoice that this, what we're doing right now, is bringing them the greatest of joy that we worship you when we praise you and we honor you. It's right that we are here. And Father, I pray that we set up our life in such a way so that we will flourish for you know what's best for us. Help us to rest in you. And may Jesus, the one who brings peace to us all, Father, be our Lord. But God, I also pray for the one I truly believe, I know that he or she are here today who are tired. They've been looking and longing for something that they can't find in this world. May they hear through the power of your spirit the words of our Savior this morning. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take your spirit, Father, and impress that in their heart and in their mind in such a way that they finally find this morning what they are looking for in Christ. May they flee to him, realizing and recognizing today they, they need him desperately. Thank you, Father. If you're here today and that's you, I'll be standing here. I'd love to speak with you. People would love to speak with you. You're tired. You're worn out. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. We'll be here ready to tell you how to do that and what to look for. To join our church, come and be a part as we proclaim Jesus. We'll be waiting to receive you as well. Let's stand together and sing.